Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and this is The Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC. We're going to be here for the next two hours from four to six, uh, talking politics, news, uh, history, uh, food, culture, you name it. So don't touch that dial. You know, in the last 45 years, I have been in the arena. I'm a veteran of 13 national Republican presidential campaigns, starting with Richard Nixon, three campaigns for Ronald Reagan, uh, working for that great American Senator Bob Dole, did my service for Bush Sr. and Jr., and of course, a 45-year friend and advisor to Donald Trump. But Never in my time in American politics have I seen a more outrageous power grab uh, than the announcement by the Federal Communications Commission uh, that they have voted to seize control of the American Internet infrastructure in the name of equity prior to the next presidential election. In the 40-year history of the Internet, it has never been regulated by the federal government. We have seen an egregious level of control by the social media companies, and particularly Google. We're going to talk about that a little later. Uh, But what they're now doing is, since they're losing their grip on social media, while they still can censor Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, a little help from the Chinese, Uh, The acquisition of Twitter by Elon Musk has opened up a front for equal treatment and truth. So all they're really doing is going to a higher level to try to control political discourse in in advance uh, of the 2024 election. This is really, really dangerous. Perhaps the most dangerous aspect of the planned election interference that I have seen. Now, some say, oh, don't worry about that. These regulations will be challenged in lawsuits, and those lawsuits will go to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, where they will surely be knocked down. Well, and it is true that the Supreme Court has ruled for Internet neutrality in the past. But incredibly, this 200-page report that has now been approved by the FCC uh, gives them the ability to censor, control, and regulate all Internet service providers based on vague laws built around the question of equity. In other words, they would be eliminating content Uh, because of uh, discrimination or disparate outcome. To me, it's nothing more 
than naked control. The U.S. Supreme Court, I don't know, 21 uh, state attorney generals called on the court to intervene in the last presidential election, uh, particularly on the issue of uh, the constitutionality of mail-in ballots, and, well, they did uh, nothing. Joining our show today is Dr. Robert Epstein. Dr. Epstein is the former editor-in-chief of Psychology Today, author of over 15 books and 300 articles. Uh, he is a founder and director emeritus of the Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies and the founder of the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology. But more importantly, Dr. Epstein has been a vocal critic of the power and influence of big tech companies, particularly Google, on our society and our democracy. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, speaking of the Internet, uh, Nikki Haley, presidential candidate, says if she becomes president, uh, she wants to ensure that no one, no one can be anonymous on social media. In other words, in order to have a social media account, uh, you will have to give your full legal name. No one uh, will be able to be anonymous. Does Nikki Haley not know that Alexander Hamilton, uh, John Jay, James Madison, the Founding Fathers, wrote uh, the Federalist Papers anonymously? She says that anonymous folks on the Internet uh, pose a national security threat. I'd say the bigger threat is being harassed at work or school uh, or, or being uh, silenced uh, by peer pressure. Man, this is big brother. It's unconstitutional. Of course, the real irony of this is that former governor, former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley doesn't use her real name on the Internet. Her real name is Nimarata Nikki Rondhawa Haley, but she never lists that self. This is, this is really authoritarianism. I think it should actually eliminate her as a, a presidential candidate. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams' uh, problems uh, continue. They may be worse than they seemed at first. Uh, not only did the New York uh, Police Department uh, unit visit his the apartment of his top fundraising consultant almost three hours before the FBI raid, NYPD says that was for a wellness check, I would uh, speculize it was for a tip-off, but more importantly, uh, afterwards, uh, the New York Police Department sent a technical assistant response unit by the apartment. They are normally used to check on whether there are any bugging devices, whether this uh, aid to Eric Adams uh, was under surveillance. I'm guessing they were sweeping for bugs. According to the New York Times, the investigation of Mayor Adams, uh, whose electronic devices, cell phone, laptop, and so on, were seized by the FBI last week, centers around whether or not he may have taken uh, Turkish money, that would be foreign money in violation of U.S. law, funneled it uh, through a uh, Brooklyn construction firm, uh, uh, to launder it uh, and then contribute it to his campaign for mayor. 
where it would have been subjected, uh, at least for the first $200 of each contribution, uh, to an eight-to-one match uh, paid for by John Q. Public. Uh, you know, I, I reject the idea that the actions against Mayor Adams uh, are revenge by the Biden administration because he has been a critic of the uh, Biden immigration policies. Uh, in fact, we know that the investigation into Mayor Adams grows out of an earlier scandal in which six individuals were charged uh, with making straw donations. Those are donations in somebody else's name where the money is really not yours to Adams' campaign. And some of those who were convicted were wired. Again, in all fairness, we must say that neither Mayor Adams nor any member of his campaign staff or any member of his administration has yet to be charged with a crime. And you can understand, however, why uh, Mayor Adams has been a critic of the immigration policies of the Biden administration. 139,500 illegal migrants have come to New York City since the spring of 2022. 65,500 of them are now in taxpayer-funded shelters. Only 2,800 migrants arrived just last week. Uh, so far, this has cost New York City taxpayers $2 billion. Uh, and therefore, Mayor Adams has had to propose deep, deep cuts, uh, cuts that will affect the life of every New Yorker cutting $132 million out of the New York Police Department budget, cutting $74 million out of the New York City Fire Department budget, uh, cutting $32 million out of the Department of Sanitation budget, cutting $322 million out of the Department of Social Services uh, the uh, the number of police officers is projected to drop by 30,000. Uh, there's also going to be cuts of 5.5 million in the removal of litter baskets, uh, 1.5 million dollars in cuts in after school programs. Uh, it, it really is uh, a, a conundrum where we are cutting, uh, services uh, that guarantee the safety, security, and the cleanliness of New York uh, to pay for people who are, let's face it, here illegally. Also coming up today uh, is Myron Sugarman. Myron Sugarman uh, is the author of a book entitled Last of the Jewish Gangsters. Uh, he is a father, grandfather, entrepreneur, veteran organized crime figure who has paid his debts to society. He's going to talk to us about the role that the Jewish mob played in fighting the Nazis uh, in World War II. He's also going to give us his views on the role that the Jewish mob played in the uh, founding uh, of the state of Israel. Uh, and knowing Myron, he's going to tell us a little bit about what he thinks regarding the uh, affairs in Israel uh, and the Gaza Strip going on today. You are not going to want to miss this. Uh, 
House Republicans uh, have referred uh, Michael Cohn, the former lawyer for Donald Trump, uh, to the U.S. Justice Department uh, for prosecution for lying to Congress uh, because there is a discrepancy in what he said in a New York courtroom days ago uh, when he said that uh, he uh, he did uh, uh, was involved in the formulation of Donald Trump's financial statements, yet he testified to Congress in 29 that he had not been involved in that uh, endeavor. This is not the first time uh, that Mr. Cohn has lied. I have a personal interest in this because in 2019 he testified to Congress that he overheard a phone conversation on a speakerphone between me and Donald Trump in which I told Trump uh, when the WikiLeaks disclosures regarding Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign and the Democratic National Committee would drop. The problem with that, of course, is that first Cohn said this happened in uh, July of 2016. Then he changed his mind and said, no, it happened in August of 2016. Uh, Robert Mueller uh, and his uh, minions could find no phone record to back up uh, Mr. Cohn's assertion. Uh, And uh, the secretary, actually assistant to Donald Trump, who came into the room, according to Mr. Cohn, to tell Donald Trump that I was on the line before he put me on the speakerphone has no such member uh, memory of uh, any conversation. Well, that's because I can tell you exactly when it happened. Never. He's repeated this lie over and over again. Uh, but uh, I had no idea when the WikiLeaks disclosures would drop other than based on the public comments of Julian Assange himself, who said they would come uh, in August. If you're just tuning in, this is Roger Stone, and this is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. You are going to want to grab the 77 WABC app, uh, load it in your cell phone, because you're not going to want to miss any of the extraordinary programming uh, and entertainment that we have here at the Crown Jewel Uh, of AM Radio 77 WABC. You can, of course, uh, always listen by going to wabcradio.com. We are live streaming worldwide. So if you don't live in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area where I grew up and you don't want to miss any of this great programming, you can go to WABC Radio in real time, but you can use the app to catch any show that you may have missed. Let me highly recommend downloading that 77 WABC radio app. Well, I do it right now. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has a tough decision coming up. Uh, As uh, most folks know, he has all of his chips in the Iowa caucuses uh, where uh, he is uh, in contention, but 40 points behind frontrunner Donald Trump. Uh, And that caucus takes place on January 15th. DeSantis has spent a great deal of money uh, in uh, New Hampshire, uh, in uh, South Carolina and Nevada, 
but he is now withdrawn from those battlefronts. He has canceled his advertising there. Here uh, is the problem. The deadline to remove his name from the Florida ballot, well, that comes up in December, on December 12th. Right now, Ron DeSantis is running 40 points behind the former president in his home state. So does he gamble on a breakthrough in Iowa where, frankly, his endorsement by popular Republican Governor Kim Reynolds doesn't seem to have moved the needle a bit? You see, other than Donald Trump, in the 45 years that I have been in the political arena, I've learned that support is not transferable. Ironically, the only exception to that rule that I have ever seen, well, that's uh, Donald Trump himself. A Trump endorsement does move votes. So Ron DeSantis has a hard decision to make. Uh, If he loses, uh, if he stays on the Florida primary ballot, but then uh, faces ignominious defeat uh, in the Iowa caucuses, which is likely, he's going to permanently damage his political prospects for a future in the Sunshine State. This could really uh, end his political career. By the way, this week we have the second poll uh, put out by the University of Florida, where Governor DeSantis has some substantial uh, influence, uh, testing his wife, Casey DeSantis, uh, as a candidate for governor in 2026. You see, uh, Governor DeSantis is uh, term limited and cannot uh, run again. There's also a new phenomena in our American politics. I think it is a, a direct outgrowth of the stunning run of polls taken in the last two weeks that shows that despite the tsunami of lawfare and the extraordinary attacks on Donald Trump, uh, according to the New York Times-Siena College poll uh, and the Bloomberg uh, Morning Consult poll, Donald Trump continues to lead uh, Joe Biden in five of the six swing states. Uh, That has opened the door to a a new phenomena, kind of similar to Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, This is, uh, I call it, uh, the the Trump revenge narrative. Jan Psaki, you remember her, she was the press secretary for Joe Biden. She says that if Donald Trump is elected, uh, he's going to weaponize the justice system to go after his political enemies. He says he's going to use uh, she, he's going to use uh, law enforcement uh, to uh, attack those who are protesting. Uh, she's warned that he would set up concentration camps and he would seek to deport millions of illegal immigrants. She she uh, is this is right out of Alinsky's books for radicals. It is the Democratic Party that is a threat to democracy. It's the Democratic Party that has weaponized the justice system and is seeking to jail the leading Republican candidate for president of the United States. That's the kind of thing they do in Castro's Cuba. 
That's the kind of thing they used to do in old Soviet Russia. It's the kind of stuff they do today uh, in communist China. Uh, they're the ones who have weaponized the FBI uh, against those who are protesting the curriculum in the public schools, uh, protesting uh, uh, in favor of the right to life. Just because you believe in the Latin Mass, and I have members of my own family who attend the Latin Mass, no, that does not make you uh, a, uh, a domestic terrorist. President Dwight Eisenhower successfully deported uh, 1.3 million illegals. It can be done. If Donald Trump is elected president again, I guess I would argue that it must be done. The open borders policy of this administration uh, has caused a crime uh a uh, crime epidemic. It has uh, caused uh, a fentanyl epidemic. Uh, and uh, perhaps most importantly, it's causing a financial uh, uh, calamity in the states and counties across the country, uh, like New York City, who are being expected to absorb these illegal immigrants uh, and pay for their social services. It's just not sustainable. But this is the latest phenomena, and now it's popular to uh, compare Donald Trump to Hitler. Folks, any time in political discourse you hear any political figure uh, compared to Hitler, you know the person speaking is uh, out of their mind. The other thing that uh, I'm going to talk about today, later in the show, is the visit of Xi Jinping to San Francisco last week. Uh, no report on whether Joe Biden or or Xi's new best friend, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, confronted uh, the Chinese dictator uh, about uh, shipping us the Wuhan virus, which was deadly, uh, or talked to him about the continued manipulation of our currency, uh, the stealing of our intellectual property and technology online, as well as our jobs. Uh, now, Biden and Xi did issue a communique stating they would work together to stem the flow of Chinese fentanyl into the United States. That's a multi-billion dollar industry. Pardon me if I don't believe the red Chinese. Uh, actually, I called on my good friend, the legendary uh, Chicago uh, talker, Mancow, to join us later in the program to talk about the Chinese threat. He's also going to talk to us about the sad state of entertainment in America today. Uh, let me remind you once again that you might want to grab that 77 WABC app uh, to make sure you don't miss any of our great upcoming entertainment or commentary here on the most powerful AM station in the United States today. Now, uh, I saw where Barbara Streisand says uh, she will leave uh, the country if Donald Trump is reelected. Trump's already leading in the polls. Why is she trying to help him? Uh, I recall that Cher uh, said the same thing uh, a couple weeks ago. 
Well, let me just say this. We're going to miss both of them. Coming up uh, next week, the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. Uh, I'm going to be very active on the talk show circuit uh, because I wrote a book, uh, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ. You know, I took this book to six publishers. Uh, this was back in 2015. Uh, and uh, all, 16, all six of them told me that it was not commercially viable, that, well, no one would ever buy it. Uh, it's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, it is uh, best consumed in paperback uh, because I uh, found that when you write a groundbreaking book like this, uh, you get a lot of new information in uh, over the transom. But to sum this up, it is my contention that while Robert F. Kennedy is correct, that the CIA is deeply involved in the assassination of JFK, uh, uh, that the Secret Service is complicit, they are, uh, that the FBI is involved, they play a role, uh, that organized crime is heavily involved, uh, I document that as well. Uh, Big Texas Oil, upset about Kennedy's uh, uh, repeal of the oil depletion allowance, uh, they're in on it. But Lyndon Baines Johnson is the man with the motive, the means, and the opportunity. Uh, and uh, I make a, I think, compelling case using eyewitness evidence, fingerprint evidence, uh, and uh, deep Texas politics uh, to make the case that Lyndon Johnson is the, the, uh, the, the drum major, the, the, uh, the quarterback uh, of this extraordinary uh, change uh, in America's politics. The, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, in my opinion, is the beginning of the deep state takeover uh, and control of uh, America. You can grab that book, by the way, at the manwhokilledkennedy.com if it interests you. I'm going to cover a lot of this uh, with some of the guests in next Sunday's show. Uh, again, I think Wednesday uh, is the 60th anniversary uh, of uh, the murder of John F. Kennedy in the streets uh, of Dallas. Got a lot of questions uh, about uh, the recipe for President Richard Nixon's sublime uh, martini that he called a silver bullet. Uh, I'm going to talk about that kind of later in the show. If you want to grab a pen and a piece of paper, uh, that, uh, that will be coming up. Uh, Nixon couldn't hold his liquor very well, but tell, let me tell you, he made a mean martini. Uh, he called it the silver bullet, uh, and you're not going to want to miss that recipe, which uh, we will be uh, laying out for you in detail later on in the show. Uh, this past week, uh, Senator Tim Scott uh, of South Carolina dropped out of the presidential race, uh, and there's been a lot of talk about where his votes will go. Well, first of all, he was getting uh, less than 7% of the vote. I think he was at 6.7%. Uh, and the thing that po folks need to understand is his uh, votes won't go to any one candidate. They will 
fractionalize uh, President Donald Trump will get some. Uh, former South Carolina uh, governor and U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley will get some. And uh, Ron DeSantis will get a handful. The point is uh, that uh, they're not going to affect this race at all. Ron DeSantis has now slipped to fourth place in New Hampshire. Uh, to the extent that anyone is surging, that would be Nikki Haley. But even her surge leaves her more than 40, in some places, 50 points behind uh, Donald Trump. The, uh, the uh, last point I want to make here is uh, we still get some questions about the New York City uh, Council's ongoing debate about removing the statue of Christopher Columbus. Uh, and if that uh, upsets you the way it upsets me, let me suggest you go and join the Italian American Civil Rights League. You can find that at IACRL.org. This is a nonprofit. It is all volunteer. We have no overhead, no staff. Nobody's making a penny, but we are acting aggressively to support Italian history and heritage. I'm Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show, and we'll be right back. So buckle your seatbelt. It's The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. This is Roger Stone, and we're back. Uh, my guest now is Dr. Robert Epstein. He's a distinguished research psychologist, a former editor-in-chief of Psychology Today, uh, the author of 15 books and more than 300 articles. He's also the founder and director uh, emeritus uh, of the uh, uh, Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies and the founder of the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology. Uh, Dr. Epstein has emerged as a vocal critic of the power and influence of big tech companies, particularly Google, on our society and on our democracy. Uh, he's testified before Congress, and I think he's exposed how Google and other tech giants can manipulate millions of opinions and votes without people's awareness or consent. So joining me now to share his insights and his findings 
Uh, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Robert Epstein. Dr. Epstein, thank you for entering uh, the, the Roger Stone Show today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Nice to meet you. Uh, so you've been studying the effects of Google and other tech companies on our behavior and our choices for many years. Uh, what motivated you to start this research, and what are the same? What are some of the main things that you have discovered? Well, I got into it kind of accidentally. Uh, you know, I've been doing research for forty-five years on all kinds of traditional topics in my field, which is uh, psychology uh, as a researcher. Uh, but in 2012, it was actually New Year's Day, I got a bunch of emails from Google, it might have been eight, I think, uh, saying that my website had been hacked and they were blocking access. So I've been a programmer my whole life since I was 13 and I got very curious uh, about Google. I, the, before that time, I just thought Google was cool and they gave us all this free stuff. but. At that point, I asked myself, wait a minute, who made Google the sheriff of the Internet? You know, why wasn't I getting a message from a government agency or some nonprofit organization? And then I was I got curious as a programmer about how they were blocking me because it didn't make sense. They were blocking me on uh, Google platforms, but I was also getting blocked on Safari, which is a, an Apple product. I was getting blocked on Firefox which is owned by a nonprofit organization. I got curious. That's, that's really how it started. And then I noticed some new researcher, uh, research being done by, uh, in the, by business people, by marketers, looking at, at the power of search results to make sales. Uh, the value of you know pushing yourself up one notch in those search results and what that could mean that would that could lead to a thirty percent increase in sales just one little notch and I at some point I asked a question well if people value those high ranking search results that much could they be used to shift people's thinking or beliefs or opinions or votes. And then I just started doing my thing. This was more than 10 years ago. I started running controlled experiments, which is what researchers in my field do, uh, to see whether I could randomly assign people to one group or another uh, and shift their opinions about candidates and shift their, uh, their, uh, their voting preferences. Uh, I thought you know, that uh, the power of the search result might shift opinions or votes by two or three percent. First experiment we ran, I got a shift of something like 43 percent. And I said, wow. And the point is, that was that was just a tiny beginning more than 10 years ago. But I've continued to do research uh, like this, discovering one technique after another that Google uh, has available to, sh to shift people's thinking and behavior and votes, uh, to indoctrinate children. And uh, the more I've discovered over the years, uh, the more concerned I've become. I, I can tell you people have generally no idea what's going on. They don't understand the power that Google and some other companies have. They don't understand that democracy has been completely undermine the free and fair election at this point 
uh, is a an illusion. And just to give you a couple numbers here to demonstrate this, uh, unless we do something about it, and I know how to, I know what to do. Uh, next year in the presidential election, Google alone will be able to shift between 6.4 and 25.5 million votes in the presidential election with no one knowing what they're doing. And again, unless we stop them without leaving any kind of paper trail, that's the power now that Google has. It's, 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 it's almost unbelievable, but unfortunately it's also true. Yeah, I've had my uh, own uh, ex experience with Google. Of course, it's anecdotal, but I noticed in 2016 that when the Clinton administration put out a press release, uh, it would end up in my mailbox. Uh, but when the Trump campaign put out a uh, press release, it would end up in the spam file. Uh, and this was consistent. I also yep. later learned that when uh, an individual made a contribution to the StoneDefenseFund.com, uh, and they did it uh, by email, uh, when I resolicited them, when I asked for more assistance, even though I had made that white mail, uh, I was told that it ended up in their spam file. So uh, I, I felt it was uh, completely manipulated. In your testimony to the Senate Judiciary Committee in July of 2019, you actually said that you thought Google's search algorithm could shift voting preferences of undecided voters by as much as 15 percent. That's extraordinary. Yes. Well, right now it's somewhere between four uh, percent uh, rock bottom minimum in any election. Uh, up to maybe 16 percent. So that's that's an enormous number of votes because there are a lot of undecided voters, especially, you know, months before an election. Uh, but you're, you mentioned the, you know, shifting around those emails, diverting emails. Last year, the Republican Party sued Google because they felt based mainly on anecdotal data, they felt that Google had been taking tens of millions of emails from the Republican Party and shifting them into spam boxes. They ran to court. The case got thrown out, uh, mainly for lack of data and lack of proof. Uh, the point is, I have figured out now how to get them, how to stop them. And we have stopped them in one case already, so we know this, this works. It all has to do with, with collecting the data, with looking over the shoulders of real users around the country. And by the way, we're doing that 24 hours a day now with more than 12,700 registered voters in all 50 states. We're basically looking over their shoulders with their permission, and we're collecting the real content that Google and other companies are sending them, and we're accumulating it, we're preserving it, we're archiving it, we're analyzing it. And we just went public with uh, the first ever public dashboard showing what this content looks like. And you're seeing the bias, you're seeing the manipulations in real time, uh, and, and this is at americasdigitalshield.org, americas with an S, digitalshield.org. And, and basically, we're building a digital shield to stop them from messing with our elections and from indoctrinating our children. 
Uh, I think it's important to point out that uh, you're not a Republican. Uh, you're not a, a conservative. Uh, I believe I read that you voted for Barack Obama. Uh, you didn't come at this from an ideological point of view. You came at it from a strictly technical uh, and, uh, and factual point of view. Uh, you've been the target of harassment and intimidation by Google and its allies. Uh, I've read that you've received death threats. Your website has been hacked. Your emails have been leaked. Uh, your reputation has been smeared. I just want to say that I'm grateful to you for being here today uh, and, by, and for continuing to talk about what is really happening so this problem can be fixed. Well, for me, it's a simple matter. I, I simply put my country uh, ahead of any particular party uh, or candidate. It's uh, I don't see what else you know I could possibly do. I think we should all uh, have that as our priority. That we have to put the country, our, our amazing system of government, our freedom, our free speech. We have to put those things ahead of any particular party or candidate. That's all I'm really doing here. So yes, I, I lean left, uh, absolutely. But uh, you know, I don't want our country being run by a couple of corporations. That's not, that's not what we were founded for. We're supposed to be, you know, have a government uh, by the people. And at the moment, we don't. People think we do. But it's, it, I can tell you it's an illusion because we've been gathering the data now for more than 10 years. And, and the power uh, that some of these companies have, Google above all, is just really unbelievable. In, in the 2020 election, for example, we, we collected a tremendous amount of data, uh, and, which, is, which is court admissible data, by the way. Uh, and that shows that Google shifted more than six million votes to Joe Biden. Uh, and again, in a way, people cannot really detect that they're doing it through bias in their uh, search results, which shifts votes. They're doing it through bias on YouTube videos, which shift votes in answer boxes, in search suggestions, uh, diverting emails into spam boxes. These are largely invisible techniques and these are not like the you know uh, the 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 ballot stuffing you know the, the that kind of thing that some of my conservative friends complain about those those kinds of dirty tricks are competitive uh, they have very little net effect on elections of course and the courts have, have found have found that to be the case uh, what Google is doing affects millions of votes, millions of votes, and you can't counteract what they're doing. It's not competitive. If Google wants to rig an election, there's nothing you can do except, again, we have found a way to stop them. Uh, you coined the term search engine manipulation effect, or SEME, SEM, I guess you would say it, to describe the phenomena of how search results can influence people's opinions and decisions. How does this differ from other forms of persuasion or propaganda, and why do you think it's so powerful and dangerous? Well, it's completely different from all of the traditional forms of uh, persuasion and influence that have always existed. It's different in a couple of ways. One is it's a huge effect. So if Google favors one candidate in search results, that means high up in search results, when you're doing a search on 
practically anything related to an election, on immigration or the wall or anything of the sort, uh, they're going to show you search results, which at the top will bring people to web pages that make one candidate look better than the other. That's what I mean by search results that are biased. And people tend to click mainly on those top search results. They trust what's at the top. That's the key. They trust what's at the top. So if Google is putting uh, their, their search results at the top that favor one candidate, then people who are on the fence, those are the people who are vulnerable. Those are the people they're after. People who are on the fence fall off, and they fall off in one direction only, the direction Google is pushing them. You can't see bias in search results. So, uh, so this, is a, this is a kind of manipulation that's invisible, so it's subliminal. Okay, But the main reason why it's different from any other traditional kind of influence, like a TV commercial or a billboard, is that you can't counteract it. So if you buy a TV commercial for, for let's say, for Donald Trump, I can buy one for Joe Biden. I could buy two, in fact. But if Google wants to support Joe Biden, there's nothing you can do because Google gets 92% of search around the world. The next most popular search engine gets about 2%. So you can't counteract them. So it's a completely unique kind of influence, largely invisible, and you can't counteract it. Uh, boy, in this case, I'm really in trouble because you got to go to the fifth page uh, when you do a, a Google search on Roger Stone, and then you'll find the first neutral story. <laughs> Beyond that, none of it's good. Uh, you mentioned earlier you developed uh, this uh, program, uh, America's Digital Shield, to protect our elections and, uh, and the American people from manipulation by tech companies. Uh, tell us a little more about how it works and what the benefits are and what are the challenges to implementing it? Well, in 2015, I got a call from Jim Hood, who at that time was Attorney General of Mississippi, and he had read about my research. And, uh, you know, he, in fact, my research at that point was even in, uh, mentioned in uh, that show, I think it was called House of Cards, about a uh, fictitious president of the United States. So my research was out there in the news, and he called me up and said, uh, I've sued Google. Uh, I think I'm in trouble. I'm running for re-election as attorney general. Could they impact my re-election? I said yes, and I explained how. And he was very concerned. And then he asked the question. He said, but how would we know they're doing it? Ah, there's the problem. So I became obsessed with trying to figure out whether Google was actually using these techniques I was discovering. And I realized the only way we could do it would be to try to find registered voters, as many as we could, who would let us install special software on their computers that would allow us to kind of look over their shoulders as they're using their computers, with their permission, of course. So this is like the Nielsen families that the Nielsen company uses to, to get ratings for television shows. Same, same deal. They recruit families. So we recruited field agents. Now, back in 2016, and, and it took us months because we, we were just didn't know what we were doing, we got 95 field agents, registered voters, in 24 states, 
And we were able to collect uh, more than 13,000 searches they conducted on Google, Bing, and Yahoo. So we actually had all the search results and the web pages, and we could see whether there was bias. And turns out there was enormous bias in all 10 search positions on the first page of Google search results, bias favoring Hillary Clinton. But there was no such bias on Bing or Yahoo. So that's important for comparison purposes. So we saw the bias and we, from the experiments we had been running, we calculated that if that level of bias, now remember we had preserved 13,000 searches, political searches on Google, Bing, and Yahoo. If that level of bias had been present nationwide, that would have shifted in that election between 2.6 and 10.4 million votes to Hillary Clinton with no one knowing that this had even occurred. Well, as it happened, she won the popular vote by about 2.8 million. So almost all of that came to her, or all of that came to her from Google. No Google, okay, the, 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 there would have been a neck-and-neck neck race even in the popular vote, and Trump would have won by a much larger margin than he did in the Electoral College. So 2018, we built a bigger system. 2020, much bigger system. At that point, we had uh, 1,735 field agents in four swing states, we preserved not 13,000 of these searches. We preserved more than 1.5 million. And so we were able to do very precise calculations about Google's manipulations. And here's the key, answering your question about what we can do, how do we solve this problem? In 2020, we shared our data with Senator Ted Cruz. He and two other senators immediately sent a threatening letter to the CEO of Google. This was November 5th, 2020, two days after the election. Saying, and it was two pages long. In fact, people can look at the letter. It said, letter to googleceo.com, letter to googleceo.com. And basically, he and the other senators said, how do you account for Epstein's data? Uh, you say you don't manipulate, manipulate elections. It looks like you're, in fact, you are manipulating elections. And that same day, Google shut off all of its manipulations in Georgia, which was gearing up for two, as you may recall, two Senate runoff elections. Google shut off all their manipulations there. The bias in search results went to zero, which we had never seen. More importantly, they stopped sending out partisan go vote reminders. Now imagine that, that they're sending out go vote reminders all day long on their homepage, but they're sending them mainly or exclusively to Democrats. Okay, so that's, that's an incredible manipulation that gets tens of thousands of people, in fact nationwide it can be hundreds of thousands of people, to get off their sofas and go vote. Instead of saying home, instead of saying home, so we it shifts a lot of votes. It's uh, by the way, it's also illegal. Uh, you've been a vocal uh, advocate for the regulation of tech companies, the protection of our privacy and our freedoms. Yes. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a non. I'm a traditional conservative, so generally speaking, I don't like regulation, but this point I recognize is necessary. What are some of the policies and laws that you think are necessary or desirable to achieve these goals? 
Okay, so you're you're asking here a very good question. It's about law and regulation, and can that stop a company like Google? And unfortunately, the answer is no. And that even if you could stop them that way, uh, our government is so dysfunctional, as you know better than I do. Our government is so dysfunctional that we're never going to pass those those laws. We're never going to enact those regulations. And so we can't really count on our government, unfortunately, to step up and help us. I mean, right now, the government just rested its case in a huge antitrust case against Google. It's U.S. versus Google, which most people don't even know. They don't even, they're not even aware that this, this, this big trial is taking place. But it's not going to make any difference, no matter how the judge rolls in that case. The EU has passed very strict laws trying to limit Google's power in Europe. It's made no difference at all. Absolutely none. Google, for the most part, ignores these kinds of actions, ignores the judgments, ignores the, the few laws that exist. The way to stop them is by making them accountable to the public, and that means large-scale permanent monitoring system in which we are presenting to the public, to parenting groups, to election integrity groups, massive amounts of data that they can use to bring to court or they can use for just to put, apply pressure to these companies. So if right now, if you go to americasdigitalshield.com, you will see real data. We just crossed over the 59 million mark. We've, we've preserved more than 59 million of these experiences that Google calls ephemeral experiences, which they use to manipulate people. And if you go to americasdigitalshield.com, you can actually see what we're collecting in real time. You'll see the political bias. You'll see the uh, elections that they have flipped. Uh, so that's how to do it, is to pressure them. Because when we pressured them in Georgia in 2020, they stopped. They stopped their manipulations. They have to stop. If you make them accountable, then they stop. Because <laughs> you've got the data uh, we have, at the moment, you know, we have field agents in all 50 states. Uh, in 15 of those states, we have court admissible data now. As our system gets bigger and bigger, we have more data uh, that's uh, that's court admissible because we have representative samples. And so, you know, we've spent $3 million so far building this amazing system. Now we need to expand it much farther, and we need to make it permanent. And when we do that, we can push these companies away from our elections and away from our kids. Uh, so final big picture question here. Uh, I think what you're telling me is that you do believe it is possible for America's next presidential election to be a free, fair, honest, transparent election as far as these uh, misacts or misdeeds uh, by the technology companies. Yes, I think we can do it, but we have to we have to act fast. We have to take the system that, that we have built uh, and and implement it fully in all 50 states, because right now it's implemented partially in all 50 states. We have to build this up and we have to advertise it. We have to inform the companies that they're being monitored, that their data are being uh, collected and analyzed. Uh, and yes, we can we can stop it because we know we've stopped them before. So it can be done, 
But again, this is a, a big system. It's expensive to recruit these field agents. We have to approach 100 voters before one of them will, will sign on and let us use their computers you know, for monitoring purposes. By the way, we preserve the privacy of all of our people, unlike Google. Uh, we, when we transmit data, there's no identifying information. Uh, we protect people's privacy. We only look at data in aggregate, never look at individual data. So we, we can do it, but we need everyone's help. If people want to help, they can go to mygoogleresearch.com. That's mygoogleresearch.com. And we depend on America to help us. And we've just launched a nationwide campaign to sponsor a field agent. We only pay these field agents $25 a month. That's it. And we're looking for tens of thousands of Americans to sponsor field agents because if you do the math, even though you're only paying them 25 bucks a month, if you've got 10,000 of them, well, that's $250,000 a month. Uh, so the, the costs add up. So we definitely need a lot, uh, need a lot of help. And I think your, your listeners, your audience, uh, uh, those are the right people to, who really get this and how important this is. And I have to emphasize, by the way, if we don't do this, because forget law and regulation, it's, it moves too slowly. It's not going to help us in time for next year's election. If we don't get this system fully built so we can monitor the primaries, so we can put pressure on these companies, so we can file lawsuits, if we don't do it, or if we if if we shut the system down, we're sunk. We're absolutely sunk. It means that we have turned over our country to the tech companies. Uh, that's a dangerous prospect indeed. All right, Dr. Robert Epstein, you have been a visionary and a futurist. You have predicted, predicted and anticipated some of the trends and developments that are shaping our world and particularly our elections. Uh, you have warned us about some of the dangers and risks that we are facing uh, and will face in the future. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining the Roger Stone Show here on 77 WABC. Coming up, folks, uh, Myron Sugarman, the last uh, of the Jewish gangsters by his own admission. And you're not going to want to miss that. Thank you. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show. Joining me now is uh, father, grandfather, author, uh, and uh, author of the book Chronicles of the Last Jewish Gangster. Uh, he is, above all, a, a patriot, 
and Myron Sugarman joins us on the Roger Stone Show right now. Okay. Thank you so much, Roger. It's a pleasure to be on your show. We had a good conversation yesterday, so I think that we're going to go right into explaining who I am and what I'm all about. That would have been uh, my first question, so please, fire away. <laughs> okay. So I'm second generation. I'm from the world of the Jewish mob that goes back to the 1900s. My father, may rest in peace, was close with Abner Longies Wilman, who was the Al Capone of the state of New Jersey during alcohol, uh, Doc Stature, uh, Meyer Lansky uh, was a very, very good friend of my father's. My father was one of the investors, in the, uh, the early investors, and got out of Cuba in time before the revolution. But we go back a long, long time in history, and I, I was taught the gambling machine industry from my father, but um, the, 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 the outlaw aspect of my life was uh, not the only side of my life. I was also taught patriotism, not just American patriotism, not just Jewish patriot, patriotism, but both, uh, where there'd be no conflict one with the other. Um, let me give a little history. Uh, Roger, starting in the 1930s with the rise of anti-Semitism, Jew hatred, and neo-Nazi, Fritz Kuhn came to the United States after uh, World War One, appealed to the large German community in northern New Jersey. Newark, New Jersey was a battleground. There were the Jewish mob under the <clears throat> under the leadership of Abner Longies Wilman. To, to end with uh, Nat Arno, a former prize fighter. They fought the American Nazi Party. Many, many battles. There's a book called The Nazis of Newark. It was written by a friend of mine, which I helped him write, by the name of Warren Grover. The name of the book is Nazis of Newark. And Meyer Lansky was asked by Judge Nathan Perlman to do exactly the same thing in Yorkville up on, a, on Lexington and, and 86th Street, which was a major German enclave at the time. And Fritz Kuhn again appealed and got his, they, they did an effective job of uh, the boys went up there. Now, Lucky Luciano was a, a, said to Meyer Lansky, Meyer, if you need any of my guys to help you, he says, you can count on it. And Meyer said to Lucky Luciano, he says, it's a Jewish problem, Lucky Charlie. I appreciate that your help and your offer but it's going to be resolved by Jewish boys. Um, but that didn't stop Meyer Lansky and Lucky Luciano from a joint venture cooperation, working with a naval intelligence officer by the name of Charles Hebden in the 19, um, 1942, after the sinking, the explosion of the sinking of the SS Normandy, which was a French luxury ship, that was being refitted in the port of New York to send troops to go to Europe to fight the, fight the uh, Axis. And that ship was destroyed, it was sunk, blew up and sunk in the port of New York Harbor. And Charles Heffington reached out to Moses Polakoff, who was the attorney for Lucky General Meyer Lansky. And to make a long story short, it was a joint venture cooperation of 
the in employing the the longshoremen and every saloon keeper, every cigarette girl, every every prostitute, every pimp in the city of New York to to keep eyes and ears open against Nazi sabotage and espionage, which was a concern of the intelligence department of the United States government after the sinking of the Normandy. Because it was always assumed that it was, they always believed that it was a result of Nazi sabotage. The Jewish mob, Roger, played a very effective role in supplying weapons and arms to both the two militant organizations in helping to create the State of Israel. And that was Haganah under David Ben-Gurion and the Ergun under Menachem Begin. They both reached out to the Jewish gangsters to help supply weapons and arms. But again, effectively, if it wasn't for the Italian gangsters of Frank Costello, Albert Anastasia, whatever the goods or the weapons that were acquired and accumulated and shipped out of the port of New York, New Jersey, was done as a result of the Zionists going to Meyer Lansky and to Abner Longis Wilman and um, asking them to use their influence with the longshoremen, which of course was controlled by Albert Anastasia, who was the High Commissioner, executioner of of, um, of Murder Incorporated, together with Frank Costello, who uh, ascended to the leadership of um, the Genovese crime family after Lucky Luciano was deported by Governor Dewey. Um, my own involvement as a result of that kind of tradition and history is, uh, yes, I was... Um, I, I opened up New York City for gambling in 1977, uh, which had been closed down in 1941 by Mayor LaGuardia, who destroyed the slot machines of Frank Costello and Meyer Lansky. And uh, I brought that back in 1977 for recognition for my achievements in bringing back illegal gambling. I was given a two-year tax-free paid vacation by the United States government. By the way, the same machines today that you can play on your iPhone. So um, I think that's a pretty good summary of it. Oh, one other thing, of course, was as a result of that tradition that was handed down to me, I was very, very close with time and reason. So I offered my services to him in 1965 in Vienna, Austria, when I was 27 years of age. I went to see him and I became his man in South America. I have letters to that effect. Uh, which I was specifically used uh, as a messenger service for certain people to deliver certain messages, some certain message. But my um, the main objective was to try and nail Joseph Mengele in Paraguay, in Asuncion, Paraguay. I was able to finally get the people that had cited him, and that information, of course, was sent to Simon Riesenthal, who in turn sent it to Mossad. So I think... Yeah, I think many, many Americans are not familiar with the crucial role that both the Italian and the Jewish mob played uh, in working with federal officials uh, to uh, crush the Nazis and to win World War II. 
there are some books about it, but our, our guest today, Myron Sugarman, uh, he was uh, involved uh, firsthand. Uh, Myron, I saw a, uh, a great interview with uh, Patrick Ben David that you gave uh, when you said, uh, the biggest gangsters of them all uh, is the government. What did you mean by that? They got all the power, all the money, and they do whatever they want to do, and there's no... <laughs> our, our former president is finding that out right now, that they, they do whatever they... they, they they just whatever whatever the political mood strikes them, they'll go ahead and do it. Listen, they locked me up for two years for operating slot machines in order to take away my business to give it to somebody else, uh, basically to themselves. And you can play the same machines. I went in front of Judge Harold Green, the one that broke up the AT and T monopoly, and was the judge in the Iran Contra affair at the time with Reagan, and uh, he. I had a federal case and I went in front of me and he asked the prosecutor, what's the difference between the machines that Mr. Sugarman operates and what Washington, D.C. lottery operates? I'm confused. And the prosecutor says, well, Mr. Sugarman is associated with organized crime. So, so I mean, so Harold Green, who was a, an escapee from Nazi Germany, uh, received a letter from Simon Wiesenthal saying, what organized crime? Myron Sugarman helps me pursue the real criminals of history, the Nazis in South America. Uh, <laughs> so we can see through all of this tremendous amount of hypocrisy and politics, of course, is something like that. So that's why we, when when the, we I had that conversation with uh, Patrick David, who's a hell of a good guy, great guy. And uh, ask very good questions. As you, you and I had a great discussion last evening before we uh, get on to this particular interview, you you asked some very insightful and penetrating questions as well. And um, the answer to the is the um, you got to hope that the guy that's in power is a patriot. Is not just a politician, but he's a statesman. And he's got the best interest of the country at heart, which, quite frankly, is a subject of another discussion. Well, well, we'll get into that in a second. In uh, in terms of uh, post use of the RICO law, which was really uh, ironically pioneered by Rudy Giuliani, to to what extent does the mob exist today? Um. They're not stupid. They're very intelligent guys. The leadership, the leadership of mob, uh, is, is it's it, they're also they they they're revolutionizing. They they see what's going on as far as modern technology is concerned, how it affects and how it changes, and the the need for forget that brute force nonsense that. Uh, you know, one of the one of the lessons that I've taught a lot of guys, and I think that you you'll appreciate it, is I tell fellas, you know, guys, if you're thinking of using your muscle at the end, it's because you didn't use your brain in the beginning. So I think that your your modern mob, um, from the experiences and from my observations, I think that they've also 
have made a, a major um, evolution in their thinking as to how to proceed uh, for the future. It's not, um, you, you're always going to have those that uh, are going to this, there's an expression in Spanish, hecho la ley, hecho trampa. Uh, it comes out the law and you figure out how to, how to get around it, all right? Man-made law is man-made. It's, it's a variable. Moral law, God's law, is a fixed. On the question of the man law, man looks for the opportunity to get around it, circumvent it, whether it's legal or it's not legal, as long as he can get around it, he's going to do it. Uh, if you had to look back on your long career, what would you say the most daring operation you were ever involved in was? The most daring operation that I ever was involved with was in, probably in Asuncion, Paraguay. I was warned off by the Jews there, please stop going around asking questions. You're putting us in a lot of danger because um, Roger, um, Paraguay was under the uh, dictatorship of Alfredo Sloster, Generalissimo Alfredo Sloster, for 37 years. There were Jews that escaped and settled in Paraguay after the war. Most of them, virtually all of them, were Holocaust survivors. And the, the word got around that there's a somebody representing the interest of the, the documentation center from Vienna, meaning Wiesenthal, that was making, uh, asking a lot of questions. And I was told, stick to your slot machine business and forget about asking questions. Um, I had all kinds of experiences as far as life is concerned. I had three state cases, three federal cases. I ended up doing a couple of years jail time. Um, you learn a lot by living on the edge, by living outside the law. And one of the most important lessons that you learn as far as life is concerned, whether you're living inside the law or outside the law, is that you gotta be honest. You gotta be straightforward, and you gotta learn how to say things in a certain way so that even if you're telling the truth, you gotta use your the right language, the right words, the right expressions in, in explaining yourself. Now, you told me yesterday that uh, as a Jew uh, and as an American, uh, because of his uh, uh, keeping his commitment to move uh, the capital uh, to Jerusalem, uh, because of the Abraham Accords, because of his stout defense and loyalty to the state uh, of Israel, uh, even though you're not political, uh, that you are a supporter uh, of President Donald Trump. Yet polling, which I saw just this morning, showed that uh, among American Jews, uh, Donald Trump has a 77% disapproval rating, uh, and that uh, if the election were held today, 68% of Jewish voters say they would vote for Joe Biden, while only 22% said they'll vote for Trump. That leaves 10% undecided. I tend to believe that those are overwhelmingly Trump voters who don't want to say. 
but 74% think Biden's doing a good job handling the war in Israel. I just find this all unbelievable, literally almost insanity. But, but what do you think of it? Well, the greatest friend of the Jewish people going back in time in history, this is very interesting, was Julius Caesar. Um, the Jews of the Roman Empire at the time of Caesar, he was so great for the to the Jewish people that our people mourned his passing at the at a cemetery at his graveside 30 days, which is the traditional Shalashim. Um, Donald Trump's greatness exceeds that of Julius Caesar. Now, people are going to say to me, well, what's the matter with this guy? Well, you know, he's he's an old gangster, so what the hell is he know? Well, I'll tell you what I know. Well, not only did he, everything that you cited is absolutely correct. He, 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 he moved the embassy, which everybody said they would do, but nobody did it, which was a, an incredible gesture. Everybody said the Arabs are going to start another uh, intifada or start another world, well, a war as a result of him moving the embassy, and nothing ever happened. The, the man recognized sovereignty as far as the Golan Heights is concerned. He recognized sovereignty as far as Judea Samaria. He picked a gal and worked in the United Nations Nikki Haley, she was a fantastic defender of the, the state of Israel. She didn't, uh, she was, she was, uh, and he gets the credit, he picked it. The Abrahamic agreement that the man is entitled to the Nobel Prize. <laughs> the, 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 Abrahamic, the Abrahamic agreement is, is unshaken. That you, you had Sudan, you had, you had the Morocco, UAE, Bahrain, all recognizing together with Jordan, together with Egypt, you, and, and if he was still in power, you would have had more nations added on, particularly Saudi Arabia, which is, of course, the the um, the home of the Muslim faith. Without Saudi Arabia, nothing nothing could, be, could have been done. Saudi Arabia, obviously obviously gave its approval to the other nations to go ahead and enter into the Abrahamic Abraham Accord until the second term of Trump. Besides all of this, he made Israel not just a power in the Middle East, but he helped to make Israel a power throughout the entire world. The Muslim world suddenly was recognizing Israel for, its, for who it was now. Am I... Am I um, capable of telling you what would have happened if Trump would have been president today? In all probability, we would not have had the 7th of October 2023 because he was in the process of destroying the regime of Iran through punishing sanctions. I'm, I'm not interested in talking about this man's personality. That's that's irrelevant. I'm talking about the man's accomplishment, his deeds. It was remarkable. And amongst the the percentage of uh, the 20% or whatever it is that we represent of Trump supporters, we recognize that he was, in fact, historically greater than Charlemagne, greater than, than uh, um, the one that... Uh, 
I'm thinking of the, the emperor from Poland that, that invited the Jews, that, that was benevolent to the Jews. And whoever was benevolent to the Jews got rewarded. And in the particular case of Donald Trump, he was incredibly great for the Jews, incredibly, incredibly benevolent to the state of Israel, and he got punished. If he was to go to Israel today and run for prime minister, I think that BB would be in trouble. You know, I've always said, I've said it on this show, uh, the one man who doesn't get recognized uh, as a friend to Israel is none other than Richard Nixon. Uh, in 1973, uh, a massive failure by Israeli intelligence. Uh, in the 1973 Yom Kippur War, the Israelis uh, are find themselves under a vicious attack by the Egyptians and the Syrians. They are quickly out of ammunition. Uh, Golda Meir makes an appeal to President Richard Nixon uh, for emergency lethal aid. Dr. Henry Kissinger is opposed. Uh, the Joint Chiefs Chairman Admiral Thomas Moore is opposed. The entire national security apparatus uh, of the Nixon administration is opposed. Oh, it will inflame the Russians, Nixon is telling. It will challenge the Russians. Nixon says, the hell with that. Uh, I want to airdrop $37 million of lethal aid to the Israelis immediately. Kissinger tries to wait Nixon out. 24 hours go by. Nixon says, well, has the stuff left for Israel? No, Mr. President, we haven't decided what kind of plane to send. Nixon calls uh, Admiral Thomas Moore and says, if that plane isn't in the air, send anything that can fly. If that plane is not in the air, I'm going to come over to the Pentagon and put my foot up your ass. They don't play that uh, Watergate era tape for you. Richard Nixon saved Israel from complete annihilation in the 1973 war. Now, did he make some anti-Semitic comments when he was in the White House? Yes, definitely. But as Golda Meir said, what matters more, words or deeds, words or deeds. Uh, I uh, I'm shocked uh, uh, at the uh, at the uh, reaction going on in America uh, uh, about this war. That the that the Democratic Party of Harry Truman, the founder of Israel, the the man who allowed for Israel helped Israel be born seems to have been completely uh, infiltrated uh, by uh, by radical Islam, uh, by the pro-Palestinians. Uh, and uh, New York City's become a very dangerous place, from what I can see. So, um, Roger, your knowledge is right on the money. And Richard Nixon, who was alleged to have been an anti-Semite, was probably the uh, one of the greatest friends of the of the state of Israel, because uh, you're, you're right. I think it was Alexander Haig that went to Nixon. Then Kissinger, the Jew, uh, was the one that said, let him get bloodied. And uh, Rick, Nixon overruled it and said, I want all those Hercules load every Nick, every every bullet we've got left, send it to Israel. And in fact, uh, if it wasn't for Nixon, there would not be an Israel today. Um, Kissinger, 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 who was an escapee from Nazi Germany, was the one that told Nixon, and it was Alexander Haig that told the president, you can't allow this to happen, and Nixon said, absolutely not. Now, as far as Truman was concerned, it was 
Eddie Jacobson, his old partner uh, from the haberdashery business in Lincoln, Missouri. <laughs> the scientists used him to get the Truman. And Truman told him, you kike SOB, you stop calling me. You're making up. You're, you're becoming, you're becoming, you're annoying me. And Eddie Jacobson says, but, but Harry, <laughs> Harry Truman, we're buddies. You got it. The Zionists are, 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 are making me call you because they want to introduce somebody by the name of uh, Weitzman. <laughs> and um, I'm Weitzman, who is the first president of the state of Israel. And he met with Truman. And, and even though Truman came from a Midwest uh, background, where his wife best, she didn't allow Jews in her home. But he's the guy that said 20 minutes after David Ben-Gurion announced the establishment of the State of Israel on May 14, 1948. He, he, in defiance of General Marshall, George C. Marshall, who was his um, um, United States um, Secretary of State, he told him, he, he told Truman, if you do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to quit. I'm going to embarrass you. Truman says, go ahead. Truman went and uh, it's it's not what people the words that's irrelevant. You can't get hung up on that. You've got to see what the human being does in terms of deeds. And as far as Donald Trump is concerned, it's uh, it's mind-boggling what the man has done as far as the state of Israel is concerned. And unfortunately, and regrettably, and sadly, our people never. Not, not only didn't show the appreciation and the gratitude, but they 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 vilify him. And yet, if he was to go to the state of Israel, he he, he would be eating in seven million Jewish homes. He'd be eating. they would put him at the head of the table. He'd be like King Solomon. All right. Um, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up there. Myron Sugarman, uh, I want to thank you for joining us on the Roger Stone Show. He is the author of Chronicles of the Last Jewish Gangster. Thank you so very much, folks. And stand by because radio legend of Chicago, Man Cow, joins us next. It's the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. It's the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. And now I am joined by Chicago radio legend, Man Cow, uh, who had uh, listed the top 10 radio shows in America for well over a decade, once the highest rated segment on Fox News Channel in the mornings for many years, uh, also did a number of, of uh, several Fox TV specials, a man who regularly beat Howard Stern in the ratings uh, and who's uh, taught me more about radio uh, than you can possibly imagine. Uh, my good friend Man Cow joins the Roger Stone Show now. Roger, God bless you. It's great. To, and I was on WABC for years. I, I was on that station. So I have many happy memories, and it feels good to uh, and comfortable to be here with you. So anyway, howdy-do, and, and um, what do you want to talk about? 
Well, first thing I want to talk about, uh, I guess, is this uh, visit uh, to San Francisco uh, by uh, the Chinese uh, leader Xi Jinping. Uh, it's just hard for me to believe that uh, all of the captains of industry, Larry Fink of BlackRock, Tim Cook of Apple, uh, 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 Steve Schwartzman of the Blackstone Group, uh, and yeah. on and on and on. These people are paying $40,000 to dine with the man who shipped us uh, the Wuhan virus and is responsible for the death and illness of thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans. Uh, I don't get this. I'm just don't, not getting it. Well, you know, uh, Roger, get it. And the trend is not our friend. And, my, you know, my, people keep saying, oh, the pendulum is going to swing back and all of this. Look, you need to wake up and people need to wake up. to. The, and I lived in San Francisco for many years, uh, blocked off the Bay Bridge as a political statement against Bill Clinton. Uh, it was the biggest story on earth for a day. But, uh, look, I know the system there. They are full-on communists. Biden is now telling everyone uh, in his uh, senile old coot mode that Newsom is our next president. And this was simply China looking at their new uh, their new colony, their new territory. So it's it's already over. We're already owned by China. And I guess you should see, you know, I, I heard the uh, Darth Vader march when I saw the people that were there. That's what's in my head. Dun, 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 dun. And, and I think you'd be smart to put your money in all of those companies because those are the ones China's going to back. This was kissing of the ring. That's their real God. That's their real leader. And he was there in San Francisco. And, and no American flags, only, you know, the communist flag. And I've been to China several times, too. And believe me, do you, do you know, do you want to know something, uh, Roger? I have never experienced hatred, and I've experienced it all over the world, for American black people, African Americans, like I, like I felt in, in China. They, and I'm not black, but, but you know, they, don't, they didn't mind me. They were nice to me, but they, they did let it be known. And, uh, you know, we have a problem here and, and in other cities with African-Americans punching the Chinese. I don't know where that comes from. Very bizarre to me. Sorry, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here, but um, I, it, it makes me laugh that LeBron James and these guys love China so much because they're getting a paycheck right now. They will be the first ones in the camps when our Chinese masters fully seize control. Yeah, it's amazing to me. I mean, while Biden and Xi do put out a joint communique on their alleged efforts to stem the flow of illegal fentanyl into the United States, this is a multi-billionaire, a billion-dollar business for China. Pardon me if I just don't believe them. But did they even discuss the weaponization of the Wuhan virus and shipping it to this country? Did they discuss the uh, the uh, manipulation of our currency? Did they discuss the theft of our intellectual property? Uh, did they discuss the harassment of U.S. flagged Vehicle, uh, uh, vessels on the sea that would never have yep. happened under Ronald Reagan. Uh, did they discuss the fact that the Chinese are systematically buying up America right from out under us? It's not just farmland and ranch land. Uh, it's bridges, uh, tolls, ports, uh, airports. Uh, so uh, I don't believe them when they say they're going to get together and stem the tide of fentanyl. Sorry, I, I'm just I'm not I'm not buying it uh, because it, it's too lucrative. Uh, but to see this guy get a standing ovation 
uh, and then Joe Biden, which is very typical, within 24 hours, he screws it up worse. It wasn't that he that he confirmed that Xi is a dictator. He is, in fact, a dictator. Uh, Biden was right when he said that. But then Biden insults him by saying the guy didn't even know about this uh, weather balloon traversing the United States. He was he was completely unaware of it. I mean, the statement put out yeah. by the Chinese were blistering, uh, yeah. insulting. They said it was insulting. It was politically uh, provocative. Uh, I guess yeah. uh, in one way, when Robert F. Kennedy Jr. says that he, he doesn't think that we pose any military threat from the Chinese, the only reason he could be right, I think he's wrong, but I think the only reason he could be right is they may not have to fire a shot. Yeah. They, they are so embedded in every aspect uh, of our of our uh, society, uh, into business, into act academia, certainly infiltrated into the government. I want to know more about those payments uh, to uh, Joe Biden uh, that have been detailed by the House Oversight Committee. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we're going to wake up one morning and they will be in control. I, I, Roger, do you, you realize you just did about 20 other WABC shows in about five minutes. You covered a lot of ground. Uh, look, the, the university near me, it costs over $100,000 unless you're Chinese. It looks like Little China. It's called Northwestern. It's where uh, Charlton Heston went and other greats. Great, great university. Uh, look, the universities, we know what they're turning out. Uh, we know that their Bible is not our Bible. Their Bible is Sun Tzu's The Art of War. They talk about getting people fighting. You get your enemies fighting, so you weaken them. That's what they're doing with us everywhere, including Ukraine. Uh, the Chinese are, are this, this is all their playbook. And if you read their playbook, you can see what they're doing. And by the way, we plan every four years an election, the pageantry, the fakeness of it all, the, the kabuki uh, show. They plan for hundreds of years in advance. And their plans are you and me dead, our guns confiscated, and this is going to be their farmland. Uh, so, look, it's, it's already begun. We've been sold out by our, our media the TikTok videos have turned our kids into good little communists. The TikTok videos have uh, have got them rooting for Hamas on the college campuses. My my daughter is in Madison, Wisconsin, great college, go Badgers, and her Jewish roommate was terrified by uh, these these protesters screaming for the death of of Jewish folks. I mean, this is from China. This is you know where are they getting this? China. And uh, Trump was right, China, China, China. I have about 100 questions for you, man. All right, fire away. Okay, well, look, you're, uh, you're the, the greatest on earth with campaigns. Uh, I flirted, it's a long story, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book, uh, how I got pushed out. But, you know, all, all polls showed that I would win as governor in, uh, in, in Illinois recently. And I, I wonder, if someone came to you, you're my friend. If someone came to you and they were willing to pay you, would you set about destroying me? Uh, no, I, uh, I'm uh, I'm at the point in my life where I would only help candidates I like uh, or work against candidates I don't like. There was a day uh, when when economically, when I was much much younger, I had to take whatever business came in the door to the extent possible. Uh, I yeah. never I never supported anybody who was anti-Western uh, or anti-American, uh, but uh, I, I was one of those who urged you to, to look hard at running for governor yeah. of Illinois as an independent. You briefly got in the race, but I think you found 
that the system is so stacked against independence. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is about to find this out the hard way. Just mm -hmm. getting your name on the ballot. Uh, it, that's a 21, nationally, that's a $21 million endeavor. It, it's arcane. Uh, it's difficult. It's labor tensive. You don't just walk into the registrar of voters and sign oh, a form and give them 300 bucks. That's not how it works. So you have to file uh, uh, petitions of voters uh, with very specificity. So you have to have, for example, in some states, 20 percent of the people who voted in the last presidential election. But uh, but at least, uh, you know, you have to have a number of them in at least a majority of the congressional districts in the state have to have a minimum in each district. This is this is because the election uh, ballot access laws are written by Republicans and Democrats working together to make it as difficult as humanly possible uh, for either uh, inner party competition or uh, a part or or, part, or a challenge to the yeah. two party system. And I think yeah. you found that in your race. Well, I, I, I found out that a lot of it is uh, it's just filthy and it's fixed. And I don't even believe it. And I don't believe in any of it anymore. And, and it's it's just it's 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 fake. It's it's a show for the American people. And when you hear Biden is telling people at that Chinese summit that Newsom is our next president, it uh, it says to me that it's scripted that way. And I wonder, Roger Stone, you know, you're the guy, man, you are. You're the you're Nostradamus of this stuff. There's nobody on Earth right now that's living that can predict these sorts of political things like you. It's like you have uh, that newspaper from Back to the Future. You know what's going to happen. But um, why the Nikki Haley push all of a sudden? Why 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 is she being pushed upon us? Uh, she is the new neocon stand bearer, standard bearer. She is. Uh, I talked about this earlier in the show. She she doesn't okay. think that anyone should be anonymous on the internet. So they want to be able to track everything you say. Uh, losing sight of the fact that that Hamilton, uh, uh, Jefferson, John Jay, Madison, all, uh, Thomas Paine, all of these founding fathers, these guys all wrote anonymously. Some of the most mm -hmm. important documents like the Federalist Papers. Uh, that, that, but they want to be able to target you. So everybody who would be on the internet, we need to know your full legal name and where you live. Uh, first of all, I think it's unconstitutional. Secondarily, I think it's anti-democratic. And thirdly, I think it's actually dangerous. She says, otherwise, it's a security risk. No, mm -hmm. no, I, 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 don't, I don't see it that way. Look, she is, she is uh, Dick Cheney uh, in heels. I mean, I, I think Vivek Ramaswamy hit that one right out of the park. She never saw a foreign war she didn't like. Uh, she's gotten a huge influx of financing now for her campaign uh, because uh, she's she is emerging as the as the never Trump candidate as the war at any cost candidate. I, I think I think it's a loser within the, the within the Trump dominated Republican Party. We are we're not isolationists, but what we are what we have in the Republican Party today is a non-interventionist majority. And I think to a certain extent, this even applies to the situation in the Middle East. We are $13 trillion in debt. Israel has a $3 billion surplus. We give Israel an enormous amount of money in military yeah. aid every year. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. It's hard for me to understand what else 
other than our moral support and our diplomatic support that they need. I'm for Israel in this conflict. Don't make any mistake uh, about yeah. it. But at the same time, just reading this just now, Joe Biden is on both sides of the conflict. He, he is loosening up a, another hundred billion, a hundred billion uh, wow. for for uh, Iran. I just read this in the Wall Street Journal seconds ago. So uh, how can you be on both sides of the war and expect to ever get peace? And it seems to me that the naivete here is that they seem to think you can trust or negotiate with people who you can't trust. We at least we loosened up six billion. We unfroze six billion dollars worth of assets before uh, based on a promise that that wouldn't be that that would be used for humanitarian aid. Almost immediately, Hamas uh, attacked Israel. Uh, yeah. Now, now we're going to give them another hundred billion. What do we think they're going to do with that money? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we know. I think we know. And um, yeah, and and our tax dollars at work. Our tax dollars at work. Do you know what the number one thing? This is from probably. Uh, one of my great sources on Earth. Do you know what the number one thing left at the border is, Roger, between here and Mexico? The number one thing left at the border? Shoot. Uh, you, you, you want to do it now or you want to wait? Because yeah, it's a blockbuster. Uh, well, we can, do, we, can, uh, we can hold it to the end of the... Let, let's let people think about that, and we'll come back to it at the very end. Well, I, 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 I want people to think because they will not believe it. And, and make sure we answer it because it will... Your 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 jaw is going to hit the radio console there, Mr. Stone. Uh, it's it's something else, but it, it feeds into what you're talking about. It is what you're talking about, uh, uh, and ah, okay. Well, well, we'll get we'll get to that. Well, no, but, just, but, I just don't know how much time we have. No, no, we we got plenty of time. Speaking of that, uh, in our very first segment today, I did promise you that later in the show I would uh, reveal to you. Uh, Richard Nixon's secret recipe for the perfect <laughs> martini. Uh, and, uh, and now we finally have time to get to it. Uh, Mancow and I have made and enjoyed this martini, so it's the perfect place to do it. Uh, and it's very simple. You, you take a jar of olives, you drain the juice, you fill it with water, you shake it up, you drain the, olive, the water, you fill it with dry, not sweet, but dry vermouth, you put it in the refrigerator to chill. You've already taken two martini glasses, you've splashed with water, you put them in the freezer to chill. Uh, now you take your cocktail shaker, which could be a silver or aluminum, uh, and you fill it with a combination of cubed ice uh, and cracked ice, uh, and you uh, cover that with, uh, uh, with uh, in my case, a vodka. Uh, the gin purists argue you should never shake gin in a uh, in a shaker with ice because it bruises the gin uh they argue you need to use a pitcher uh and a stirrer and that's the way you make a gin martini i don't drink gin so i couldn't say uh, but uh in this case well nixon liked uh, vodka martini so we'll go with it you cover the ice uh with uh, with vodka and now you shake extraordinarily uh, vigorously. I mean, so vigorously that if the cold of the shaker is not kind of burning your hand, you haven't done it enough. Uh, and now you remove your chilled glass from the refrigerator. You pour in uh, your uh, martini concoction, uh, sands the ice. But if there are not tiny shards of ice on the surface 
of the martini. Well, Nixon would say that you screwed it up. Now you go to the uh, jar of olives uh, where you have marinated them in vermouth and you drop in one or two olives. There it is, promised uh, earlier. That is the silver bullet. Uh, That is the greatest martini you will ever have. And when I told President Nixon, wow, this is a great martini, he said, yeah, I got the recipe from Winston Churchill. Wow. Well, and and I remember once we drank that and I toasted your back where you have a a portrait of, of Richard Nixon. Yeah, I've been thinking, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been thinking seriously about adding Reagan, Goldwater, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, Trump for kind of a Mount Rushmore effect. Yeah, uh, but hey, if I was, if I if I do that, I'm going to need several of those martinis because yeah. believe me, it will hurt like hell. Rock Roger, if there was a Mount Rushmore of a holes of jerks, what's what's the first uh, face you would put on there? The Mount Rushmore of jerks. Oh, uh, I guess that would uh, be uh, the aforementioned Howard Stern. That's where I'd put him. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you said, uh, just to make, he never, ever beat me. And there's a Vice, two-hour Vice TV special, Dark Side of the 90s, and you will see how much I destroyed him. And uh, that's the facts. Now, now, quickly, uh, bourbon, half and half, vanilla extract, confectioner's sugar, mixed together. It sits overnight. Okay, bourbon, half and half, vanilla extract, confectioner's sugar. You, you mix it together, you put it in the fridge. This will be the drink that greets the Muller guests here at Muller Manor, the museum that I live in, very much like the Adams family. And then a freshly ground uh, nutmeg on top of that. That was Ethel Barrymore, you know, the Barrymore family, a uh, family of famous Hollywood drunks. That was their uh, Thanksgiving drink, and we've taken that from, uh, from them. So that's our drink. Great, great tradition. So, But uh, I think it's important to cover this. So Mankower is no longer a mainstay of uh, Chicago Morning Radio, where he was the gold standard. Uh, And you left, uh, as you told it to me, because you refused to be censored. You refused to stop talking about your belief in Christ. You refused to stop talking about your love for this country. You refused to stop talking about your admiration for Donald Trump. Uh, And you basically refused to to be dictated to about free expression. Well, yes, yes and and no. But 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 basically, uh, I don't think people have any idea what we go through and how impossible it is. I mean, just today, what we've talked about, you've got people furious, at, you know, whatever. We call the pizza place the Mecca of pizza. Well, that's offensive to Muslims. Manhole cover is, is offensive to the feminists. Uh, I said ventriloquist dummy. That was uh, offensive to the people that do the art of ventriloquism. Look, I'm not a Bible banger. I'm a believer, and I would mention that I went to church. They didn't like that. They didn't like that I questioned the uh, the, the clot shots, and they didn't like that I questioned the election. By the way, I'm, I'm not an election denier. I just think there was irregularities there. But, um, you know, not to even be able to question these things on talk radio, uh, this shows you where we're going. And uh, it's it's it, look, look, I, 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 I couldn't take it anymore. Stone rule number two is you can't win if you don't get in the game. And I I. I understand what you're saying, and I know you want me to jump back into it, Roger, but I'm, I'm more like uh, John Galt at this point and the Ayn Rand novel. I, I just I don't want to be part of this culture. I don't know if you saw the Marvels, another another huge Disney Marvel movie that's a complete flop. Uh, people are, you know, this this culture holds nothing for me. Uh, I, I, I saw a great TV show on Netflix called The Killers. 
or The Killer. I think you should check that out. It's a it's a Fincher movie. You would love that movie, The Killer. And then there's a great movie. Finally, it's you know they're so rare now for adults, but The Holdouts at the theater, Roger, you might like it. And, and I have another. I, can I ask you a question? Sure. You're always dressed like a gazillion dollars. You're you're known around the galaxy as one of the great dressers on this planet. Maybe the greatest dresser there is. Um, is it Tom Wolfe? Is he the great dresser, the author? Uh, I would actually argue not. Tom Wolfe, I think, uh, crossed the Rubicon into costume. In other okay. words, so, uh, the, the, you don't ever want to be viewed as view, as wearing a costume. Now, uh, I had a great opportunity to meet Tom Wolfe. We talked extensively about tailoring, but his detachable starch high collar, uh, you know, for, <laughs> that's Victorian. That's that's that lopes into uh, into costume. Yeah, uh, it, look, it worked. It worked for him, but uh, I don't think it would. It would work for me. I'll tell you but what's Roger, getting harder and Roger. harder and harder, and that is every New Year's Day I produce my uh, my. This will be my fifteenth annual international best and worst dressed men's and women's list. This is getting harder and harder and harder. It's hard. It's easy to find people who dress like bums. That's easy. Uh, he will he will lead the pack to say the least, and you can always find say Larry Kudlow, who's right here on WABC, uh, or Greg Kelly, also here at WABC. Ironic, two of the very best dressed men in the country, perhaps in the world, right here on seventy seven WABC. But beyond that, it gets really really difficult uh, to compile this list because people don't care. Gentlemen, particularly, don't care. I mean, the rule here is very simple. Dress appropriately for the activity in which you are about to engage. If you're going to the gym, then dress in gym clothes. If you're yep. going to a dinner in a nice restaurant, wear a jacket and tie. I wear a suit and tie to church. I'm like the only person who does. There's a few others, other than the pastor himself, uh, but very few do. Now, maybe because it's just because it's Florida, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think look good, feel good. You have to dress the part. Uh, if all the world is a stage, well, then I guess in a certain sense you should be in the proper costume. In that sense, Roger. So, but you didn't you didn't hear my question. Well, I heard it, but like a politician, I ignored it. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I you didn't. You, where I was going with this is I can I can't imagine you because you're always dressed. By the way, it's a shame that three of the, the best dressed people. In America, or on radio, <laughs> it kind of kind of loses it. But um, uh, do you ever eat fast food? I can't see Roger Stone, you know, as dapper as you are, uh, sitting at a Taco Bell. Do you eat? Can, is that something you would do? No, I've I've not been in a McDonald's in uh, twenty five years, probably longer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's probably uh, why you're you're still alive. Uh, yeah, I you're mean, you're still healthy. Taco Bell, just uh, no. I'm not. Uh, it's all salt is the real problem. So, it's not so, good for so Russia wants to ban America's LGBTQ, whatever. I don't know the letters now, but whatever. The, the, the movement. Um, and, and at the same time here in America, asexuals want to be part of the flag. So people that have no interest in sex want to be part of the LGBTQ community, which to me is, is insanity. It's like the, you know, the, the gay folks out marching for the Palestinians and want them dead or, you know, cows out marching for Sizzler Steakhouse or, you know, something like that. Chris Christie for salads. It just is madness. Um, 
a- asexuals. Um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, Roger, other than I, I, that's there's something else I can't understand. I can't understand. Well, when the when the when the next uh, 007 movie has uh, has James Bond or 007, uh, and he's not an Englishman, where are we going with this? Yeah. Hey, hey, I have a story. I have a story. I'm part of the Ian Fleming Society. I will be uh, breaking bread in Monaco in about a week with uh, Christian Moore, Roger Moore's uh, son. And I knew Roger Moore, and he's got something special for me. I don't know what it is for Christmas that used to belong to my favorite James Bond. He wasn't the best, but he was my favorite because that's who I grew up with, Roger Moore. But um, I spoke with an ambassador, and... uh, this is my hand on the Bible. And he was in charge of media and worked with the queen from the palace. Very long story, but quickly, he heard the queen call the Broccoli family and and say, please, please don't make it an African-American woman. And that's what was going to happen after Daniel Craig. That woman that was, that's in those movies was going to be the next James Bond, a, a, a black woman. And... The Queen argued, please, this is, you know, a treasure to us. This is, you know, this is important to us. This is our image. And, and it's a, you know, it's an Englishman. I don't think color matters, but, you know, it, it's not. James Bond certainly isn't a woman. Uh, but this is the madness. And then Linda Carter, uh, Wonder Woman, was saying, I think a man would make a great Wonder Woman. I mean, we, we are, man, we're circling the drain. This is, this is a madness. Britney Spears' book is the number one book on Earth. I mean, wow. Um Hey, and Larry Elder's got a good book out. I wanted to mention that. My friend Larry Elder has a has a good book out. I know you like Larry. Uh, RFK, uh, no comment, Roger. He's he said nothing about the Middle East. People can't get him to talk, from what I what I understand. Why? Why? why and, and Obama, of course, uh, on the side of uh, I think Islam, as always. But because um, to me, that's look. I spent personal time with Obama. To me, in my opinion, that's his background, and I think a lot of Jewish folks are waking up. To Obama was not their friend, but um, I don't know. What have you heard anything about RFK? Unwilling to say anything about what happened in Israel? I haven't seen anything from him. I, I mentioned earlier in the show that his insistence that that China is not a military threat to the United States is something I yeah. strong, strongly, strongly disagree with. I I really think he is uh, being naive. Madness. Uh, be, being naive. Uh, now you are. Uh, uh, probably the world's number one rock and roll fan. Uh, yep. You you are a, a great aficionado of the Moody Blues. Uh, yep. you've, been, you've been trying to get me to open their, my mind to them, which I haven't ruled out. Uh, you know, I learned from, I ruled from, learned from Lee Atwater many many years ago. I only liked uh, traditional R and B. I listened almost exclusively to Wilson Pickett and James Brown and. O.V. Wright and Solomon Burke and uh, and Sam Cooke. I mean, that was my genre. Uh, and I wasn't open to anything else. I, I thought everything else was terrible. Uh, I thought Elvis was good, but that's because Elvis was a white guy singing, you know, black music, yeah. uh, gospel music, and, and, yeah. uh, and so on. The Beatles, uh, pardon me, the Stones, you know, they covered mostly R&B songs that were originally made by black artists. So I kind of yeah. like them. Over time, I began to realize how wrong I was and that all forms of music uh, are worth listening to. All forms. 
where is contemporary music going today, particularly rock and roll? Where are we going today? Well, uh, look, I, I just got the Smashing Pumpkins and Van Halen together to play a couple of songs. Uh, it, it, my friend Billy, that's a long story, but but just incredible stuff is going on. Uh, but, you know, these stadium fillers, the rock and rollers, they're dying out. So you got to go see them when you can. I am going to be with the Moody Blues and Monaco coming up uh, for 10 days. I love those guys. I helped get them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if you haven't listened to the Moody Blues, Days of Future Past, or Question of Balance, it's the way to go. Uh, I'm, I'm friendly with Smokey Robinson. We went to the Derby together. To me, he is a god, small g. I can't imagine, I, I, I can't conceive of what has happened to that Motown sound. What it has become. So offensive, so sexist, so racist, so violent in many cases. It's unbelievable. With that Motown era, what was, I think, the best music that America's ever produced. So you're right. And yes, the Stones came to Chicago, and they had one goal. They came to America and then Chicago. But their number one goal was to meet Muddy Waters. And they couldn't find him, and he was painting the ceiling of uh, the studio here in, in Chicago to make extra money. Uh, that's how broke he was. So, yeah, no, these guys these guys uh, took a lot of blues out of Chicago, the Stones, and, and got rich. And, and But they have, they, you know, they have a great love for the music as well. Solomon Burke, wow, where did you pull that one out? What a great one. Uh, so much great music. Everybody loves some, needs somebody to love. All right, Mancow, unfortunately, we are out of time. I want to thank you for joining us today on the Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC.